Hey everybody, welcome once again to the Town Center Music Food Truck Friday Concert Series Artist Profile Podcast. I am Aaron from Town Center Music. Um, thank you for downloading, tuning in, however you got to us. We are now on both iTunes and a little app called Stitcher. So feel free to point your phones or iPads or whatever digital devices you have toward those things, and you can subscribe because we still have a couple uh, really great artists coming down the pike. Um, we have an interesting situation this time. Uh, due to a scheduling mishap, we're not going to be booking the artists for Food Truck Friday. Um, what's going to happen on uh, Friday, August 7th, is you guys are going to get to watch um, a great artist by the name of JP Blues. He comes in the store. He's fantastic. Really great dude. So I highly encourage you to go out once again and take part in the food trucking and the bluesing that is going to go on that night. But... Uh, something cool happened, and the artist uh, that we were going to get to play um, on that food truck Friday, uh, they are now going to be performing at the Swanee Wing Fest the very next night, Saturday, August 8th. Um, his name is Brent Daniel. He is uh, a great, great player, great singer, great writer. Um, he's been a fixture in the Atlanta scene for a long, long time, and uh tells a really great story uh and i spent a long time uh with him at his house we hung out we talked and talked and talked um and it is fantastic i'm so excited for you guys to hear this next artist interview um he's such a great dude has so many cool stories and um it's just a great guy to know if you are a musical artist in atlanta so please drink deep and uh, and have fun listening. Um, another programming note about August the 8th on Saturday at the Swanee Wing Fest. Um, I am, uh, I've actually put together a little band, and we're going to be performing as the 101. We're going to go on at uh, 5 o'clock. Brent Daniel is going to go on at 6. The Athens Band is going to go on at 7. And then uh, a little band called Soul Asylum is going to go on at 8. So if you come and see me and my band and, and you don't mind like throwing a couple bows and, and holding on to that really choice spot that you got when no one was there, you will have said choice spot when Soul Asylum takes the stage at 8. So everybody come out. It's going to be a good time. We're going to have a lot of fun. The city does a really, really great job of putting on these events. And um, Wings, man wings how can you not like wings so everybody come out thanks once again to the city of swanee for doing this um thanks once again to whiz kid sound for um sponsoring and helping us out with some stuff on on this and uh we are going to listen to brent and daniel first we're going to listen to a track called tell you why and then we're going to listen to the interview and then we're going to listen to a track called so long so without further ado here's brent daniel with tell you why Center of who you are I will dance around 
Brent Daniel. Yeah. Hey. Hi. <laughs> um, thank you for performing uh, at our uh, event. You guys are playing the first Friday in August, right? August 7th. August 7th. Friday Good. night. the date, and I don't. 7 awesome. p.m. Great. We are excited. Yeah, it's it's going to be exciting. We had our first event. We're recording this um, right now in the beginning of April, just because um, we like to get stuff done. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we had it's our first fun. event. It was fantastic. Really excited about it. And you were br- bringing a band. Yes, yes. Um, uh, Mitch Flanders on drums, Doug Bristol on bass, possibly a keyboardist, but um, these two guys have worked with me off and on since 1979, if you can believe that. Um, And they're on uh, different phases of my recordings uh, going back 25 years. So we have a a good time looking at the catalog and going, oh, that was a ballad then, let's make it reggae now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that's a way to uh, make things new. We do have new material as well that uh, we'll be playing that night. So. Yeah, I was I was listening to the uh, preview, the new stuff mm-hmm. that you gave me, and I really like it. It's very um, there's a strong British pop mm-hmm. thing that goes through your your whole uh, recorded stuff from 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 what I I, I heard. Right, and you had uh, the the last two songs on the on the disc that you gave me. Um, were really cool. One of them, one of them, kind of continued in that in that vein. There was even like a little bit of kind of a Smiths thing in mm-hmm. one of them that I, I heard. And then the second one definitely had more of an American. Um, and and I'm sorry, I don't know the names of the songs. But yeah, uh, had a, had a very American cheap trick kind of kind of vibe to it. I which was cool. I accept all of the above. <laughs> okay. Yep, I love cheap trick <laughs> and uh, and you're right. Uh, Ever since uh, I can remember, you know, uh, my writing has been influenced by um, the the English sound and and beyond. Uh, but um, what I'll do is I'll also uh, I'll supply you. And by the time this comes out, closer to the show, we're going to have a new EP that'll be out there uh, with us at the show. Maybe some shirts and. Um, something that's more up to date than even what I gave you that was recent mm-hmm. we've gone past that because it's, just, it's like a song factory a yeah. machine that doesn't stop so <laughs> it, I, this could be outdated by the time <laughs> All right, we, cool. we, we hit the park no that's good yeah. that's, that's great <laughs> um, so, so talk to me a little bit about that about that writing process that's one of the things we've delved in yeah. with the other pod podcast for you where does it start is it is it like an academic kind of thing lists of notes things like like that is it is it purely like gut raw inspiration what where does that start with you all of the above i've had um prolonged periods of maybe three songs a week for about two years um and we're still burning through those so when i think of those as new to the world as in there's not a definitive recorded version anywhere Mm -hmm. Um, and those were inspired, and if I had to pick um, favorites, you know, I'd probably be dipping into that catalog in that they were inspired, that the, I didn't know anything about them before I wrote them. There were other times when I was more connected with um, the music industry earlier, uh, decades ago, when I might have written specifically for a project something I knew could be played well by the people that might be on the road with it, performing it live. So they've written that way, the craftsman way. Um, I enjoy all 
Um, you don't know when inspiration's going to come. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. not, uh, and and the mystery of it remains to this day. I have read books uh, by writers that I admire, and you can have 350 pages of someone saying, I really don't know how that happened. <laughs> yeah. And I feel the same way because I don't know. I don't want to know. Yeah. It's like if you knew that, uh, we'd probably have, you know, a platinum record hanging around here. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah um, uh, there's another way of, I might be going for a, uh, a vibe or a feeling or a sound such as maybe swampy uh, might dip into my Credence Roots, which mm-hmm. were my earliest, the uh, John Fogarty guitar tone. Um, I still enjoy. And, uh, you know, and also I, I might go for something that's just a cadence or a rhythm. And I may have nonsensical words to start out with, but I know I want them to fit in this <laughs> right. sort of a, a Chuck Berry, Hank Sr., where every line ends perfectly. Yeah. And, you know, I'll figure out what it's about later. Yeah. And I might go that way. Um, but it could be, also, you could write with no instrument. You could be in traffic. Yeah. You can just have something that, that you know it's incoming, and you might jot it down, you might try to remember it, and then you may get some of it wrong. Uh, but the part that you can remember, you go forward with that, and you will end up with something you had no idea was going to happen. If you finish it, you have to commit to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, from, you know, time to time. So, sometimes that might be something, at this point, I've got 300 songs that, uh, if I don't know it, then Doug Bristol, who has worked with me most of my adult life, mm-hmm. he's the he's our computer who wears tennis shoes. He's, <laughs> right. like, he's the memory yeah. bank. He's stumped Mr. Bristol. He can play songs that... I wrote when I was like 17 or 18. Wow. And, yeah, you know, it's astounding the things that, that he remembers. But, uh, um, you know, I don't feel pressured at this point to come up with anything because I'm in the total hobby realm, you know, mm-hmm. sort of reflecting back, thanking, you know, the blessing of being able to have written what I wanted to write. Mm-hmm. I have the ability to play what I want to play. That is the greatest gift, and just to look at it, appreciate it, enjoy it, come out to the park, play yeah. for families. Yeah. We do two or three things a year, so this is, for us, it's something we're very excited about because we don't play all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we did the last two international pop overthrow music festivals, and if we get invited for a third time, we'll do that. And I go down two times a year to the studio at Eggleston called The Voice, mm-hmm. built by Ryan Seacrest. And there's a great uh, venue there for the kids to come see it. And uh, So those things are those are the things I do. And I don't spend a lot of time knowing what's happening or, mm-hmm. you know, going to shows or, right. uh, you know. Right. It's a different point in life. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good cool. Life. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Um, and that's that's been a theme in the in the in the bands that I've talked to, thinking about it, approaching it from a position of okay, I'm I'm a responsible adult human being, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have things I have to take care of. But mm-hmm. there's this thing that I'm so passionate about that mm-hmm. I can't kill it and I can't let it die, mm-hmm. and I have to do it. And I it's... found taking the business out of music made the music better, mm-hmm. um, because business and music when I was in it, and I wasn't really, I I was in it longer and probably more professionally than than most people you'd run into but Mm -hmm. um 
I found out that it's mostly a climate of the thing you did five minutes ago isn't good enough for 15 minutes ahead. Right. And it's mostly you live in fear. You don't know what's next. You don't have any security. Uh, you have to be somewhere all the time that you may not want to be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I was 25 or 6 when my daughter was born, and I thought, well, I would rather be with her. <laughs> and it that proved yeah. to be, you know, the right thing. And uh, so I, my ambition got tamped down a lot. I didn't really pursue it. Uh, to want to be in the business of, of having to then go play the same thing every single night. I did do it for the first, like I say, from 79 to 89. I was in a lot of professional acts, and I'm grateful for that experience as well because that's uh, where I learned the craft. But um, I found that the best stuff that I like musically came in the years where you didn't have to have that concern Mm -hmm. it's worth it to me to work a job to be able to go home every night Mm -hmm. be able to be where you want to be and do what you want to do and then when the music happens it's really happening yeah you know yeah so at the at the risk of getting too heady i mean we've seen a lot of like decentralization of the music Mm -hmm. industry when it comes to you know spotify streaming nothing that people own so it's it's like all of a sudden that that kind of idea that this is something that you're going to make a million dollars at has kind of has kind of diminished, mm. you know, a little bit because you either have to go really, really big or you're just not going to go anywhere. Now, I've got um, I I'm listened to a couple uh, artists speak on on this thing, and one of them says uh, you can make a pretty good blue collar living mm-hmm. if you if you try if you just sit there and and say this is what I'm going to do mm-hmm. and I'm going to uh, treat it like a job and I'm and I'm really going to work on it. You can make a living that way, mm-hmm. but the thing that you're talking about is is, is an even more distinct path than, than that. It's just music made in leisure and in hobby. I mean, I mean, what do you, what do you just just given the fact that you've thought a little bit about this, what do you what do you think about where the music industry is going with that? Is that are we going to see more bivocational or non-vocational artists? Mm-hmm. Or are, are we going to see um, more of the blue-collar thing? I think that if you had a name that was able, that was maybe trademarked in the late mid to late 70s through the 80s, and at this point up through the mid-90s, that is recognizable that can sell tickets and or merchandise, mm-hmm. that if you want to go out and play, X number of dates a year that I think there's always going to be a demand for a live performance and I think that's great it's a very good thing and we make special efforts to go see some of those names Mm. that were made during those time periods because they mean a lot to us and they always will Um, it's harder after that point to break a new name Right. Um, I was not very successful or or didn't make the right moves at branding myself at the time when I should have under any one name my stuff came out under what I thought was going to be something that might last five or ten years and it was more like a few months Mm -hmm. so for me now you know I understand the intelligence of branding and um there was a period where I lived in Los Angeles and I was out there with some new product, but the new product was under a band name that I could never produce in a million years. I should have put it out under my own name, mm-hmm. which 
not that I like my name or I want to use it. It's just that's who you'll always be. Mm-hmm. So if you sing what you write and you play and produce what you write, mm-hmm. then it's kind of a bonehead move to not call it just simply what it is under any circumstance. That's mm-hmm. why I can go out and play. Uh, I have several different types of shows. We're talking about the electric band mm-hmm. in the park, which is the most fun. And there's also an acoustic version that uh, can scale all the way down and play anything acoustically in trio form, duo form, or solo form. Mm -hmm. So when we're doing these other things, like when we go do the voice, that would be solo and duo. And, um, you know, if I were 25 years younger, 30 years younger, you know, I might look at it and say, your name is important. Mm-hmm. You know, how you put your product out and the ease of finding it. Is it memorable? Will it be misspelled? <laughs> Is it a strange word? Right. That's why I was making the joke the other night. I said, Kelly, I should just announce on Aaron's show that we're going to call it the Town Center Band. <laughs> because every town center has a town center. Right. And you're in the town center, so and it even sounds good. It's the Town Center yeah. Band, you know. Hence, so, the, hence the name of the store. It's a great name. <laughs> yes. and it makes a lot of sense. But see, that's important, Yeah, as you well know. But yeah, music industry, as I knew it and think of it, and the funny thing is, I really don't think of it. Mm-hmm. Because I don't have to. Yeah. I don't want to. When I read about it, it might be depressing. Um, but there are so many great people playing, it's more inspiring than ever to be holding a guitar. Sure. Go on YouTube, and there's every guy at every level that can teach you. No matter, I've been playing since I was seven. I still learn from these guys. Today, it could be some guy who's 14 and figured out something I always <laughs> wanted to know, but I was yeah. too lazy to do it. It's like, hey, great. That kid just figured out... Ten years gone, you know, by Jimmy Page. Thank you. And all kinds of guys up, you know, levels up higher than me. I'm into jazz and swing guitar now, Mm -hmm. you know, just improving my playing. And, uh, you know, the teachers that we're talking about at your store, that is a very important thing. Mm -hmm. That's as important as the business. Because if you think about it, it's so marginalized that the business is only 1% or less of where your good music comes from. Right. So it's not that important to somebody like me. It's like, do I want to know what's happening? If somebody you know, points me in a direction of something they think I might like, of course I'm interested. And I wish every single professional musician, young and old, out there the very best because it takes a lot to do it. And yeah. I, I understand that and I respect that. Um, I don't think it'll ever be uh, where a copyright has value the way when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. The writers, the publishers, um, producers, performers, the val- there was a value in a copy of something right. which has gone out the window. It's shocking that it was not protected more aggressively in the legal domain, but the genie's out. Yeah. It's, that's how it is. You've got to face it. If you're going to want to play for a living, you literally must be prepared to play. Yeah. for a living and live to play yeah. and, and be out there. And that can be a lot of good for a long time, and, and you might still be able to make a bundle yeah. doing that. Well, and then maybe one of the antidotes to a culture that seems to increasingly devalue art, mm-hmm. you know, how we don't, we don't want to give money for art anymore. We want to be able to just stream it on whatever thing that we've got or we can pull up a picture of a painting and, and, and believe that it's the same thing. And mm-hmm. so maybe one of the possible 
antidotes to that is what guys like you and 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 me to a small extent and then the other guys out there that do this thing like you said as a hobby for the pure joy of doing it and and you're not going to be as prolific Mm -hmm. you know as somebody who gets paid paid to do it but it's going to be I mean, you can get into like notions of like artistic purity or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's it's going to come from a place of joy rather than a place of, you know, uh, abject Work. need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, pressure. Yeah. Um, and, and this is a a joke that does not really go down very well, but um, I think every you'll understand it is like, just think if major label artists back in the day had been forced to have a day job of any type, how many awful records could have been prevented <laughs> because you know sitting by the pool and mm-hmm. you know it's that it's that other joke of when did recording costs go through the roof and uh, was one of the great producers uh, his answer was when they started calling cocaine tape <laughs> on the budgets if if you had to get up if you had to do something yeah. anything and then music was made when it should be made in a space of time you know, that was allowed for it, you might have could have had some better products. We probably need to cut this out because it doesn't go over well. It's easy no, to say. Okay. No, right? I gotcha. It's easy to no, say, gotcha. like, once you, oh, I've had a job for 20 years, so I, yeah. I'm used to that. But yeah. it's good to have balance in my life. I like yeah. having balance. You know, I don't want to be just that one thing, that, you know, little scared little creature. You know, what are we going to do? Yeah. You know, somebody, you know, you got to have the next six months booked. You know, really? Sure. Do we? Oh, yeah, yes, right. you do. Yes, right. you do. Or you don't know what you're going to be doing for right. the next six months. Well, it's that it's that thing too of you, you know I can I can I have countless songs that have been made since 1939 that mm-hmm. I still go back to, mm-hmm. right? That I can I can listen to them and go, oh yeah, this is still valid for, mm-hmm. for me. It's no matter what decade it's in, it mm-hmm. still it affects me emotionally. It's okay to subsist on that while we're waiting 18 to 24 months for somebody to write something of quality rather than throw out a record that's got three hits on it and a bunch of filler crap. See, that'll never fly again just because of the era that we're in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have nostalgia for albums and works that include maybe 10, 12 songs, but Mm -hmm. not everybody does. And you see it now where people almost can't even listen to a two and a half minute song without texting button. Yeah. yeah or check checking their you know yeah. or starting to talk right you know <laughs> right. and it's just the world that we're in is there's not that much uh except for music lovers you right. know and they do exist and and you know i'm thrilled to say uh, there's a site called number one music.com mm-hmm. forward slash brent daniel music and when myspace was in its heyday i would be able to see the logs where you get you know, X number of plays per day. And that went came and went, but it's like a broadcast station. And this site, number1music.com, it's got a mailing list that's international all over the world. Um, I'll probably post this on there cool. so they can hear it. Um, but I'm last the week before, I got 1,800 plays. And the week from Thursday to today, log just came out before you got here. Um, 2,700 plays. Wow. Uh, over 300 a day. Yeah. Um, mailing list is 430 people as of this morning in every country you could think of. Um, and they, you know, send me 
little notes, and I'm wondering if it's like one guy in a dark room with an Xbox, and they go, oh, tell him he's great again. <laughs> it could be, but what if it's not? <laughs> because it's it, a possibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just really nice people who love music. They pay attention to the words. Uh, they know, you know, what we used to know when we were kids. Yeah. Open the record and look at who pr- produced what. You know, kind of know yeah. the chords, what key things are in. <laughs> Asking questions, like inside questions. You yeah. Know? It's like, ah, oh, you're listening. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just even, I, I can I can remember the the effect that uh, Kiss's Destroyer record had on mm-hmm. me as a five-year-old. You know, my mm-hmm. mom had this record, and I'd be, I'd be flipping through it. It's like, oh, Patsy Cline, Hank Williams, the Rolling Stones. Oh, my God. What, <laughs> what is, is that? Yeah. Exactly. I, I couldn't even bring myself to put it on the turntable, but it was just, yeah. you, you, knew, you knew exactly what you were in for. Oh, yeah. Based on that, and we don't have that anymore because, like you're saying, that instant gratification push a button get a different style i don't like this i don't like this one i don't like like, i think i like this one but now i don't or you could is even and i do this because now i've been indoctrinated into the itunes world it's like oh i like that so i'm gonna i'm gonna come back to it Mm -hmm. well i may or may not (laughs) but i said i liked it in 10 seconds yeah i've got i've got like skeleton playlists on my phone i'm like oh i need one this way and then so i start to make the playlist i'll add one or two songs Mm -hmm. it's got a catchy name but then I got to go do something else, so I forget it. It's funny because when I'm doing the playlist now, I keep a sort of a running tally on who has hot masters, who has the old-fashioned masters, who's, oh who's going too hot because yeah. I don't want to track to jump out in yeah. volume. I was like, yeah. hey, I can't mix these artists because yeah. this guy's like going with the latest trend. <laughs> wow! But this guy over here, he's leaving some breathing room. So yeah. oh, I like him. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want it to, the volume to go, hey, where's the next song? Oh, it's playing, but it's weak. Right, right. That kind of thing. That's hardcore, man. Oh, it That's is. really, really impressive. It is. Yeah, yeah. I still have the ears, you know. They, yeah. They, you know, they hear things. They hear digital pops. Yep. They hear the things. Yeah. You know, that that kind of that kind of sizzle at the top end of everything, and you're just like, oh. I can detect yeah. a cell phone ring in a, in a track. Yeah, I'll say there's a cell phone in the in the drum track. Yeah, and they'll go, you're crazy. We're not going to pull these faders down. So just mute them out. <laughs> go to the drum track. And see, they'll tell you exactly where the phone rings. So I bet the engineers love you. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know if they do, but yeah, I love them. That's good. I love them. <laughs> Harry O'Brien and Joe Alcofer. Mm, cool. Yeah. yeah. Props to you. Yeah. Wow, cool. Well, um, we're we're already at minute twenty-three. Uh, Sweet. <laughs> these things are about 20, twenty-five minutes. So okay, wanna, we'll do a series. That's right. I want to give you a chance to um, to to plug where people can get the records and everything. Okay. Um, to pay for them, I'd go to iTunes, mm-hmm. and the latest album that was proper was called Art House Cinema. Was the the artist, but it's it's me. It's Doug Bristol, John Riley on drums. Brilliant recording by him, my brother, John on keyboards, produced by Joe Alcofer in Lawrenceville, Georgia. The artist is Art House Cinema. And that one still has legs, and it's a lot to do with probably the fan base that I'm talking about in the uh, international domain. Prior to that, under my name, Brent Daniel, there are two records. one is called Better Late, and the other one is called Thank You, Good Night. And that is uh, sort of uh, remastered versions of recordings that at the time we thought were demos for major labels. When there came a time we listened to them with Harry O'Brien, our longtime 
engineer, and he just said, or we all agreed, like, these are records, man. Hmm. Just put them out. And so we did. And uh, that's Mitch Flanders and my brother, same brother, John, and Brandon Bell, uh, excellent bass player. That was our group in the 90s. And um, also Messmakers is a roots project I did with uh, Wade Berry on guitar, Gary Wolf on bass, and Wayne Lynn on drums. Uh, that's called The Messmakers. The album's called Better Days. Um, that's where we sort of got together and melded our Credence love with our Eagles love with our Rolling Stones love. Mm-hmm. And it made a nice sound. Cool. And um, also uh, Ready, Set, Go has two albums. That's uh, Doug Bristol, who's with me now, mm-hmm. uh, myself, uh, Kenny Wilbur on drums, Stuart Settles on keyboards, uh, two excellent albums, uh, Audible Lift and Keep Moving by Ready, Set, Go. And it just keeps going back. I mean, there's stuff that we did in uh, New York with uh, Stephen Galfus when we were Shebang. It's myself and my brother, Neil, my other brother, mm-hmm. who is... In his own right, Neil Daniel on, on his last album uh, called Gemini, um, and he's got an album before that. Um, but he was in a group with me called Shebang, and it had Peter Stroud on lead guitar, doing great, great work on original music, um, and that goes back into the '80s. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how easy that stuff is to find. It's mostly vinyl, like on eBay, but it's. <laughs> worth just that's, the pictures alone. Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen a couple pictures uh-huh. up on fa- Facebook from random yeah. people where it's, yeah. it's like, oh, that's Brent. Yeah, and there's Pete. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Young fellas. Tim Gardner was our drummer then. Great guy. And uh, uh, we'll talk about the early early days at some point. Oh, I'd love to. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you've been you've been in Atlanta making music for how long? Uh, since '79, I came up here. Before that, I was in a great band that's sort of the Nazareth of Henry County, which sounds weird, but <laughs> these guys were great. Yeah. And then Fragile saw me. Um, their agent saw me, and he said, oh, "You know, come join this group, Fragile." And they played the Southeast, and I was 17, playing all over the place. Um, they still played now. They do reunions down at Smith's. They draw 400, 600 people every time. After that, I replaced a guy named Brian Bartlett in a band called Choice, and they were on Polydor. And that took me into the first experience of, okay, this is where you get up and go to radio stations every morning. Right. That's what they did. It's like their day starts at 10. (laughs) You know, you get up at 8 and you go to radio stations. (laughs) And um, after that, I was with uh, um, the Riccio brothers, Joey and LaRue. We lived and operated the Bistro. Mm-hmm. On, uh, West Peachtree Street during the most potent era of New Wave. Wow. And then um, I uh, replaced, in my mind, I replaced Brad Whitford with D- Whitford St. Holmes. He went back to Aerosmith, mm-hmm. and I walked up to Derek St. Holmes in a parking lot when I was 22, and I said, I want to play guitar with you. <laughs> and he laughed and laughed and yeah. laughed. And luckily, his bass player was a good friend of ours and made some calls and said, Who is this little kid? <laughs> so he wanted to play guitar with me in the parking lot and the people he called said the right things for me and I was on his farm in Winder playing the Whitford St. Holmes album wow. we went out on the road with that in 84 and he's the guy that sat me down and said I'm moving to LA and I think he'll correct me if I'm wrong 
I think he said, you always have a place with me. It felt like that mm-hmm. is how I heard it. But he said, you need to have your own band. Mm-hmm. And there I was. I was 23. He was probably 32. And he was a great, great older brother figure. And um, so I went and started my own band. Um, it took a while to get Neil and Tim and Pete. First, I was with Jeremy Graff from Riggs. Mm-hmm. Barry Dunaway from Pat Travers and Benny Rappa from Whiteface. They made the demos with me and T. Labbits from the Dregs on keyboards. And then we got management and those guys all had other commitments and then I had to put something together around that. And um, that's how we got together with Pete. He was like this guy that moved from North Carolina to Atlanta and he was in the studio one day. He said, do you want to play one of my guitars? Like, what do you got, Pete? Uh, you know, I got a 60, 1959, you know, this or that or the other. It's like, yeah, where is it, Pete? It's in my car. Well, why don't you bring him in? He brings in all these guitars, and he goes out to tune them in the studio, and the engineer mutes the mic, and he says, is that guy in your band? And I said, no, he's just a friend of ours. He said, well, he needs to be in the band by the end of this day, <laughs> was his advice. Chuck Foot on Zach from Axis, uh-huh. he said that. So, yeah, then we then we formed that, and... It took us through the 80s. So, but all of those things have very, very great Spinal Tap stories, except with a southern <laughs> twist, which makes it better or worse, depending on your perspective. And, yeah. Uh, you know. Um, we'll, we'll continue. Yeah. No, we'll, we're, we're, we're really exploring the idea of making this a, a, a running thing, this podcasting thing, because... Um, I think it's great. There are stories that need to be committed. And, you know, all the groups that are, you know this, I mean, there are a lot of great groups in this town, and there always have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my favorite bands of all time, uh, if I had to pick one, it's the producers. Really? Um, you know, and luckily, when Kyle doesn't feel like coming down to play a show, they might call me, and I'm, I'm standing on bass, which is <laughs> just wonderful, because they also were sort of, and they don't probably see it this way but they were brotherly figures as well with different types of musical uh, inspirations and influences Mm -hmm. and so to just to know them just to be around them is is great but this town has always had top-notch players uh, writers singers uh, you know you name it and great studio personnel too Mm -hmm. producers and engineers and since since I've been around since before I was around and uh, it's uh, it's a even more than ever. It's just great to be here. I don't want to leave. Mm. I'm never gonna move away again. It's, <laughs> you see, we're yeah. we're in a good place here. And so the music is is wonderful. And playing with friends that I've known since you know Doug since '79, Mitch since '89, and my brothers from time to time, John and Neil. That's really what we need to do as a, a Daniel Brothers album Neil's in Seattle but it doesn't matter where you are yeah you can fly that stuff all over the world now Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so there's more to be continued yeah cool well thank you um so uh August what day day August 7th Friday (laughs) night Friday night 7 p.m. that's right that'll be great um thank you so much for doing this we're really excited about uh hearing you play um I do you have a band band camp site or something where people can sample um, we don't have, well, there may be a band camp, and I'm not really uh, up on 
all the sites that we're on, but uh, the number one music.com put mm-hmm. in my name. There's a lot of tracks there. Reverb okay. Nation. Okay. Brent Daniel, like yep. 20 to 30 songs there. Okay. You can listen, you can grab them, and uh, yeah. And and the great thing is we're about to put out something that's really upbeat and electric um, that is what we're working on now. Great. So by the time we have this interview out, you know, hopefully some studio tracks would have happened. Awesome. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. And, Sweet. Uh, and we will see you in August. Okay, my brother. Thanks, man. Take care. Yeah. will be your best birthday lounging inside my arms leading to our next Christmas feels like the very first I want to tell you you are the one I have waited so patiently for so long song.